Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon. Today, we're going to be talking with one of the co-authors of the new and revised updated edition of Self-Leadership and the One Minute Manager, Susan Fowler. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you so much, Chad. It's so good to have you here. Why is it important now more than ever for for people to become self-leaders? You know, I think it's important for people to become self-leaders and for leaders to encourage individual contributors to become self-leaders because... When you think about the flattening of the organization, when you think about the demands on productivity, when you think about how disruption is keeping executives awake at night, and the thing that they're most worried about is how do we keep innovating, how do we keep creating, that self-leaders who accept responsibility and take initiative are more important than ever. And the research, I'd like to maybe integrate some of the research that we've discovered over the past decade. There's just been a virtual explosion of research around the power of self-leadership in organizations. So um, I'd like to refer to some of that if, if it's okay with you during our talk. Well, this is a revised and updated edition. Mm-hmm. The original uh, uh, book went, uh, went out in 2005. So what's, what's changed? What is your research showing you? Well, could I, before I answer that particular question, can I just say something about that original book in 2005? Yeah. Because um, if you think about this is an extension of the original One Minute Manager book. And I would just encourage people who are listening to think about when they discovered the One Minute Manager when did that when did that happen and for me it was back in 1982 when mm. the book came out and i owned my own advertising agency and i was with a, a client white business machines in charlotte north carolina and i got a call from the president who invited me to a meeting and i said well what's the you know what's the meeting about and he says, well, you'll find out when you get here. And I said, well, wh- what do I need to do to prepare? And he said, nothing, just come to the meeting. So I thought, well, that's really vague. So I get to the meeting and everybody else is waiting for Ted Solomon, the president, to come in and they don't know what the meeting's all about either. And he's a very flamboyant, dramatic man. Mm. And he finally walks in the room with people behind him with stacks of books in his arms. And he goes, this is a revolution. Mm. This is the most extraordinary thing you will ever read. This book will change our entire lives. And it was the One Minute Manager book. And he handed one out to every one of us. And he said, now I want you to take the rest of the afternoon off and read this book because we are all going to be One Minute Managers. And it was like, oh my gosh, okay, this is really exciting. Read the book and I had the same reaction that Ted had. And now, all you know, 35 years later, I'm trying to think, okay, what was so revolutionary about it? One was the parable, the way it was told. It was a simplicity. But it was also that back then, I mean, it was actually revolutionary for us to think, oh, there's specific things that leaders can do that will actually make people's lives better. And that year, 1982, saw the release of the One Minute Manager, 
um, In Search of Excellence, and Megatrends. And those three books, Publishers Weekly says, literally transformed the face of publishing, that there was no business book category until 1982. And so now... um, 35 years later, here we are with Self-Leadership and the One-Minute Manager, but it originally came out in 2005, as you said. And in 2005, we just intuited that if we're going to focus on leaders, wouldn't it make sense to also work with the other half, the people who are being led, and that it could be a partnership? And back in 2005, there, you know, back in the 90s and 2000, it was that was even a revolutionary idea. And so, what we wanted to do with this version was to build on the success because it was a bestseller in 2005, build on the bestseller that we had, but integrate all of this research that's happened over the last 10 years that says the most essential ingredient for organizational success is the proactive behavior of self leaders. Yeah, and, and and you think about how uh, the world has changed since two thousand five. Oh, I mean, the, the you know the twenty first century workplace. You've got it really requires a more collaborative approach, and yes. and and so many people are working remotely, virtually, um, on cloud based prod- projects, right. and and for you to be able to um, come. Um, to the workplace and 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 have more uh, be more empowered and use some of these skills um, you're going to be more effective on the job because you're not going to have people standing over you watching the the days of command and control those are gone (laughs) well they should be gone let's put it that way i mean there are times when command and control might work like there's a fire but the for the most part we know that the command and control doesn't work and so we really need for self-leaders to step up and ask for what they need and you see you know, especially, um, you know, today's organizations, I've done a lot of work like at Google and Apple and, you know, Silicon Valley, and those are very flat organizations. And if, if you're in one of those organizations, and you don't have self leadership skills, you're, you're not going to thrive, you really need to understand how to manage up. Um, I just think the the other thing, too, is that um, if command and control isn't what works, that in collaboration is what works, that we need to arm self-leaders with the skills and the tools to be equal partners. We don't have the time to waste. I, I, what I love about this book, is, again, it's a simplicity, which mm-hmm. is nice. Um, and I'll, I'll drop in some of my thoughts as we By go. By the way, simple doesn't mean easy. No, no. It, and it, it, and it, it doesn't mean it's not robust. But, right? it, but it's like the original book. Exactly. You know, when Ken came out with One Minute Manager, it was people. And I think I, I remember a, it's a direct quote from Ken where he's like, duh. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, you know, but so, but when, it, when it's spelled out for you, it makes sense. When I think about this book and how it interacts with the One Minute Manager, which is you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find many people that don't have it on their, their, uh, their, their, uh, their bookshelves. You, that's the book where somebody is reaching their hand down to help. This book is a person reaching up, really, to grab hands. And how so, poetic. Well, I, that's, no, that's kind of how I see it, yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that we hear a lot about in organizations today is accountability. And the thing is, people hate being held accountable. Just that whole concept of holding people accountable is off-putting yeah. to a lot of individuals. But people want to be accountable. You know, they want to make a contribution. Nobody wants to be bored and disengaged at work. People want to thrive at work. And so this book is a beginning of saying, you know what? Accept responsibility, take initiative, make, make a workplace, create a workplace yeah. where you can thrive. 
I so let's dig into this book. Okay. So let's dig okay. into kind of some of the the areas because we want you know the people that are listening to be able to take away some of the some of the thoughts here okay. and, and be able to use them. So you know when you think about uh, where we may uh, we may lack some skills on the workplace or at least where we may be lacking in a workplace communication. Communication is so key, and I appreciate how you call out what is so obvious but often overlooked. You know, uh, you actually say people are not mind readers. So <laughs> why is that so vital to just to take in and, and, and realize that, that, uh, that, that I don't know what you're thinking right now, but we make some assumptions? Do you know, and I, I ask this when we're actually doing teaching and training of, of, of self-leaders, like, what do you think is your manager's intent? And even if a manager has good intentions, oftentimes because they're not giving people what they need, people ascribe bad motives to the manager, like, or, or they, or they describe them. They're just not very smart or, you know, they're self-centered, they're self-oriented, or, you know, they're too political. They're, you know, all people know is that they're not getting what they need. So they tend to put their managers down. And what I really want people to read when they read this book, I want them to get out of that victim mentality that says, my experience is going to only be as good as my manager, because your manager probably has good intentions. Your manager doesn't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I go in there and screw their day today? Yeah. You know, they don't wake up thinking, I'm, I'm going to make someone miserable today. I mean, I don't think they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but think about this, Chad. We are taught that in our most important relationships, our husbands, our wives, our spouses, our partners, our best friends, that you can't assume that they know what you need, yeah. that we need to communicate. And yet our managers don't even love us and we're expecting that they know what we need. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a different, um, uh, you know, I don't know why we have that assumption in the workplace that our managers should know what we need. So, yes, we want to, we want to develop empathy between the individual and their manager and help you to understand that that person's not a mind reader. You need to understand what you need and communicate it. We're talking with Susan Fowler, uh, co-author of Self-Leadership and the One-Minute Manager, Gain the Mindset and Skill Set for Getting What You Need to Succeed. For me, Susan, you know, I think that one of the biggest takeaways and, and really an ongoing learning for me uh, uh, that I got from the book and around this concept is around the concept and idea of of uh, assume constraints, and that was so eye eye opening for me. You call it uh, elephant thinking, yeah, and and that's based on the old story that a lot of people have heard um, about the way that elephants used to be trained in circuses. And what, I think it's one of the reasons we don't have circuses anymore, mm. is because we assumed that we could take this elephant and when it, the elephant's a baby, tie him down with a stake in the ground and a chain, and that baby elephant would pull and tr- tug and try to get away, but he couldn't because the chain was too big and the stake was too deep in the ground. And as he grew up, he just assumed he couldn't break away. And so he stopped trying. And the idea is that in in our work, we all have assumed constraints. We all are letting things hold us back. Um, the way we define an assumed constraint is a belief that limits your current experience. So based on our past experience, we think, oh, well, you know, I tried that once and it didn't work. Or I brought up an idea, but nobody ever listens to my ideas. And even if they did listen to my ideas, nothing ever changes. Or my manager is too busy to really listen to me. Or my company doesn't really care about me. I'm just a cog in the wheel. You know what I mean? So there's just um, a bunch of assumed constraints that we all have that we need to break through and challenge. So what we try to teach in the book is, one, to recognize that you have assumed constraints. And then secondly, how to challenge those assumed constraints and how to break free of them. 
I, I like uh, where I've util- where I've utilized this in in meetings and in discussions in the workplaces where I've I've actually I've thrown out something where maybe I've been the devil's advocate or maybe mm. I've uh, um, in the past where I've said well you know I'm not sure about that where, I, where I've actually prefaced it to say well this might be an, uh, an assumed constraint but but it this this is where I'm thinking right now but you know I need to think about it in a different way so that's been really helpful for me. You know I appreciate that and is I think what we've done in this version of the book that you know, is, is kind of a new addition, is that we don't want people just to acknowledge they have assumed constraints, but we want to give them a methodology for actually dealing with it. So to flip it, to to basically say, if, if you, for example, and, and this is a technique I think anybody could use who's, who's listening right now, is let's say that you have an assumed constraint such as, um, nobody really listens to my ideas, and if they did, nothing would change. To flip that to a positive statement that would be, people listen and appreciate um, listen to what I say, and they appreciate my ideas. I can make a difference. Now, even though you might not quote unquote believe that, that's the flip statement of the assumed constraint. What happens is psychologically, you have a little moment there where the door is open, or maybe you just see a little bit of light, and that's all you need. See, if the door is shut and you believe what you believe and the door is shut, you're not going to break through. But if you just think the door is open a little bit, you're almost always willing to open the door, walk through. And so what we find is that just that flipping the statement and then coming up with an action step that will help you, um, like, for example, I'm going to... um, solve problems and, and present my problems uh, in forms of solutions, yeah. that, that that will actually help you to overcome the assumed constraint. Yeah, getting, ready, getting, getting rid of that, the negative talk, the negative self-talk. Which yeah, and, it's, so, it's, and it is it a form really of reframing, but yeah. it's a psychological technique that actually works. All right. So here's another thing. So, and okay. this, you know, there's so many different workplaces, and I, most of the listeners are going to say, "Well, we're very different," and everybody believes that. But here's the thing that really was interesting to me: the mindset you dive into that I think um, that that really makes some people think around empowerment, and specifically around what you deem kind of points of power. And I think that can surprise people because you know, I, I'm just a you know frontline worker. I'm just an individual contributor. I don't have any power here. But but you don't believe that? Definitely not. And. What's interesting to me is that Points of Power was in the original book, mm-hmm. and it was just something that I had experienced and really believed in, that that if all you believe in is position power, you are going to be a victim. So you need to identify the types of power you have. But um, I was just involved with some research, and we've actually got three papers that are now submitted to academic journals around the notion of power. Mm. And what we found was that whenever a leader uses any form of power, even when you think it's positive, that if, if, the, if the direct report perceives that the leader is using power, that they will never be in an optimal motivational outlook. But if the, they perceive that any kind of power is being used, they will automatically go into a suboptimal motivational mm. outlook. So for all the power in the world that leaders have, they do not have the power to motivate us in a, pow- in a positive way which points to just how important it is for self-leaders, for individual contributors to start to say, well, how am I powerful? And we've identified that position power is one form of power for an individual contributor. Um, They might actually have a little bit of position power, but most of them are going to have task power or uh, personal power or relationship power or knowledge power. And it is enlightening when people start to recognize that they have uh, forms of power that they can use strategically to achieve their goals. And all equally important. And, and where you find you have strength in one area, you can actually flesh out the others. That's, and that's what strategic use of it means, that if you don't have 
personal power, but you have knowledge power, maybe what you do is you start teaching, you know, lunch and learns, or you start uh, mentoring other people on your knowledge. And pretty soon, you're not only developing your personal power around communication, but you're also developing relationship power with the people that you're mentoring or teaching. And so what we really encourage people to do is to literally, and the book talks about, you know, how to do that, is to look at all five types of power and, and identify them for yourself. And then how do you strategically use those to build on other points of power? This podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more and there's a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization, go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. And they have a special offer right now. Send an email to podcast at KenBlanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. Now through the end of summer of 2018, one grand prize winner chosen randomly will receive a free one-on-one call with Ken Blanchard. Five others will receive a signed copy of Ken's latest book, Servant Leadership in Action. So you've, you know, you've, you've worked uh, with Ken Blanchard for a long time, one of the other co-authors on this program and, and, uh, and one of the brains behind the One Minute Manager concept. This is an introduction for uh, people, uh, in some cases, to the most widely used leadership development model in the world. We go into an aspect of that, which is diagnosing where you are developmentally on, on goals and tasks. So let's talk about that, because that, yeah. that can be very complex, and that you know organizations actually train that in large classrooms. So how can, how can we get what we need out of this book? So I'd like to just point out that there's two aspects to this book that are really important. Um, we define self-leadership as having the mindset and the skill set for proactively getting what you need to succeed. Yeah. So what I've just been talking about, what you've just been asking me about, challenging assumed constraints, activating points of power, that's the mindset. Yeah. Because if you don't have the mindset, you're never going to be able to apply the skill set. And the skill set, as you just talked about, is one of them is to be able to diagnose our development level, is to understand that there's a learning curve that we all go through when we're going to master a goal. So first of all, if we collaborate on the goal, and then we can self-diagnose, if I can understand, wow, I'm brand new at this goal. I'm at D1. I've never done it before. I'm excited about doing it. I want to do it, but I've never done it before. I'm at D1. Then I know what to ask for. Um, If I'm at D2, which is the disillusioned learner stage, and I now have lost some of that initial enthusiasm because ignorance was bliss when I was at D1, and now I'm a disillusioned learner, I now know what I don't know, and it's kind of depressing, you know? It's um, Somebody the other day said it's a very humbling experience to go into something with all this confidence you can do it, and then to realize it's a little bit more challenging than you thought. So when you're at D2, you have very different needs than you did when you were at D1. So what the book describes through the parable of... The, the hero named Steve is that Steve begins to realize that he's at D4 on some of his goals and tasks and doesn't need his manager's direction or support. But on a lot of things, um, especially with this new client that he takes on, he's actually at D1 and has now gone to D2. And he's in big need of direction and support that he wasn't getting. And so that's where people quit. That's where they fail or they feel like they failed. A lot of people in organizations, you might you know, recognize this, is that they get to D2, stage of development, and they quit, but they stay in the organization. Mm-hmm. So we have a, sometimes we have organizations full of people who are still on that learning curve, but they've gotten stuck. 
and they come to work every day, but they are not producing, they don't have intention to produce, and so we wonder why they're disengaged. It's because they're not getting the direction support they need to move through the development continuum to master what it is they're trying to do. Yeah, I like how you call that out, the, the shift as we've been discussing from mindset to uh, skill set. And I think uh, what, whereas learning um, diagnosis and some of the other areas and, and, and functions of situational leadership too, but it, 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 that is a very um, huge mindset, mindset shift um, of realizing I shouldn't be an expert in everything I'm doing, especially yeah. things that were just thrown on my plate. So it's 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 a, the ability to be vulnerable, to actually have that conversation with your leader to get what you need. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really fascinating. If I might just tell a, a quick little story. Mm-hmm. When the book first came out, we had um, some young men who we were working with from Taiwan, and they loved it, and they loved the model, and they loved the idea of asking for what you need. But they said the only problem was that in Taiwan, they didn't go through D2. And we went, what do you mean? And what really came out was this wonderful conversation about how in some cultures, and and by the way, it's not just in Asian cultures. Um, I've been in, you know, major corporations in this country where the culture is you don't go through D2. In other words, you don't admit when you have low competence and low commitment because it's such a high-driving, pressure-filled productivity-oriented culture. And what these guys realized is that it was a matter of saving face. And what this model did was gave them a way now to say, this is human. We all go through D2. We all have that moment where we question our own ability, where we question the relevancy of the goal, where we're not getting um, maybe what we need in terms of the direction we need to, to keep learning. Um, we all go through that. And as long as we understand that's natural, we can then work our way through it. So um, this has had lo- you know global resonance with any culture. Yeah. So w- another thought process that I, I, I kind of attached to this. You, you said something earlier about how, um, you know, your, your manager, you hope, is not sitting sitting at home thinking about how they're going to mess up the person's day. <laughs> right. When I look at this, it's also the, the awareness of, you know, my manager is, is not sitting at home thinking about my career and my career development and everything I need to succeed. <laughs> and so this really is kind of a, a, a bit of a roadmap for you to take so you can actually take own control of what you want and and what you said in the book, the most powerful words, actually saying, I need, and start asking for what you yeah, need to be successful yeah, and succeed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it is a phenomenon. And I actually have a drawer full of, um, of letters and cards from people who said they actually use the I need phrase. And that what it does is two things. One, it gets you out of your woe is me, I don't have what I yeah. need. Um, or even saying, you know, I want, because People always want things they can't have. But when you say, I need, you're actually coming from a position of strength. That when you're able to say, I'm at D2, I have low competence and, high, and low commitment, and here's what I need to get to D3 and then to D4 and really make my biggest contribution. When you use that I need phrase, it's compelling to the mm. person on the other side of the I need phrase. Mm. And so people actually really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a powerful phrase that, that people have, you know, use and really get results with. Yeah, it's... it's uh... I, I would encourage anyone, especially if you're a bill collector, yeah. instead of saying, oh, is your check in the mail? Just try the I need phrase. I need for you to have yeah. 50% of the balance due 
in my office by next week. It's just amazing. Just I actually had someone things. who wrote to me and said that she increased her bill collection rate by 20% by changing to the I need phrase instead of asking questions. You know, it, and it's about no excuses. Thank you. You got it. Yeah. And, and when you're in control of your own uh, work environment, then there are no excuses. Um, I mean, you might, I don't want to say this because I, I do want to, there to be empathy between you and your manager. But the, the, the thing is, is you might have a manager who is preoccupied or doesn't have the skills or doesn't give you what you need. Maybe they're not very sensitive. Let's say that what you really need is someone to listen to you. And you have a manager who's not a good listener. That's no excuse. Yeah. A leader is anyone who can give you the direction and support you need. So there's no excuses. Once you understand what you need, then you're able to see the resources that are abounding. So ultimately, uh, you, you have this, uh, this term called one-minute magic. So what, what is the, the ultimate goal of putting all of these mindsets and skill sets together? Yeah, the one-minute magic is that you can create your own environment, that you can create the own quality of your work life, and that in a world that's crying out for effective leadership, the most obvious and the most powerful place to start is with yourself. That's, that's magic. That's magic. So as we, as we begin to, to wrap up here today, Susan, what's the one thing that you want people to, that are listening to this to take away from the, our conversation? Oh, could I have two things? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so one thing is that, that you do have power and that the power is to do more good for yourself and for others. And that when you challenge your assumed constraints, when you take advantage of that positive power, and when you're proactive, when you ask for feedback instead of waiting for it, when you proactively solve problems instead of hoping that someone else is going to do it, that you literally, research will tell you, you have more energy at the end of the day and you have less stress. So that's the one thing I want people to hear, that you literally can generate your own energy by being a self-leader. But I also want you, if you're in a leadership role, to understand that part of your role is to develop self-leaders, is to encourage people to be self-leaders. And so I'm hoping that this book is not just for individual contributors, but it's also for leaders, not only who want to lead themselves, but then also understand what they should be encouraging in their individual contributors. That's fantastic. Susan, thank you. Susan Fowler, one of the co-authors, along with Lawrence Hawkins and uh, Ken Blanchard of the revised and updated uh, self-leadership and the one-minute manager, gain the mindset and skill set for getting what you need to succeed. Susan, how could people, if they wanted to, to check on what you're doing, uh, how could they find you? Thank you for asking. They could go to my website, www.susanfowler.com. And they could also um, uh, follow me on Sp- Smart Brief. Um, it's a leadership blog, so mm-hmm. Smart Brief on Leadership, and Huffington Post, and Leader Chat. So I've got blogs on this topic. Uh, been doing a lot of blogging for the past three months because the book, by the way, was just released this week. Well, you're and you're a great follow as well on LinkedIn, you know, where a lot of those blogs come out. So thank make sure you, you look yes, uh, so Susan, Susan Fowler, Fowler on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. So Susan, thank you so much for thank joining you, us Chad. today on uh, today's edition of the Leader Chat. Yay. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. 
And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. This is Ken Blanchard. As you can imagine, I'm a raving fan of Susan Fowler. Uh, It was really fun working with Susan and Lori Hawkins, who's our senior founding associate, been with us right from the beginning on self-leadership and the one-minute manager. You know, I heard recently, uh, and I love the analogy that leadership uh, is like a compass. Uh, You have to a lead north, which is how do you influence your boss, and a lot of self-leadership work that Susan and all have done is really how do you ask for what you want and get what you need from the person that you're working with, but you also have to manage south, which is how do you help the people uh, that work for you win, and a lot of that is by opening up a dialogue and finding out what they need uh, to help them win and all. And then you also have to uh, lead east and west, which is uh, all about uh, getting along with colleagues and people that are at the same level and all. And so uh, what's really key to the compass analogy is at the center of the compass is yourself. And that the important thing I think that Susan's just saying is that we really got to know uh, ourselves and know what we need uh, to succeed. You know, I love the mindset and the skill set to get what you want to, to succeed. And uh, when I have seen leaders who are self-serving and, and are problems and all, they aren't really comfortable with who they are. And they don't want to admit their strengths and their weaknesses and all. And uh, with self-leadership and the one-minute manager, you're going to learn some techniques and some ways to think about so that you can get what you need to succeed. But you're also going to get some great ideas on how you can help other people uh, succeed uh, in their environment, whether they are people who uh, work for you or whether they're people who you work for or whether they're peers. And so uh, listen to this uh, broadcast from Susan uh, several times. I think you're going to really find it very powerful because knowing yourself and knowing what you need and getting the mindset and the skill set to succeed is really fabulous. So take care. Thanks, Susan. And you're the best. God bless.